Good morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to those of you listening online as well. What a gorgeous day. September 19th, I was just ran in from out there. Some of you are out there. It's a beautiful day. Glad to be celebrating it with you all here this morning. And we kind of launched the year in a manner of speaking I'm here on the 19th of September. We're talking about habits, spiritual habits. And I think today we're going to talk about or are going to talk about, I would say, perhaps if you could rank, prioritize them, the most important one. The most important resource that we have for our spiritual growth, for one's spiritual growth, is the Bible. Perhaps most of you would agree with that. But the Bible is not just um, good information about God, and it certainly is that, right? I mean, think about it. Um, we, we, we wouldn't know anything about God. I'm talking about the God of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Scriptures. Um, you know, if we didn't have the Bible, we wouldn't know about, um, you know, certainly God's Son, Jesus, born, raised from the dead, you know, the, 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 the substitutionary atonement, what the gospel is. We wouldn't know anything. The, the Bible is a revealed truth, okay? So the Bible is, is very, very important, and it, and it has, it contains very important truth, and information, but it's much more important than just good information. It has the, this is what it says about itself. You'll have to judge in the next 25 minutes. It has the power to actually change your life and continue to change your life. Okay, that's what the, that's the real claim that the Bible says. You not only need to read it, you need to let it read you, challenge you, move you and me to places of repentance, which simply means change, change your mind, change your point of view, change your ideas, change your direction, change your motivation. It needs to read you, right? It's a microscope on your own soul, read you, challenge you, right? And then lead you in new ways if you want to have new life. Listen, God forgives sin in a moment, in the manner of speaking, right? If you are a Christian, uh, you, you, as I did, put your faith in Christ, you know, your, your heart of hearts belief in the finished work of Jesus. He died on your behalf. He rose with new life to give you that he purchased through his punished, being punished. You don't purchase through you being punished. This is the gospel. When you exercise faith in Christ in a miracle way, this is the beauty of the gospel, why we're here in a manner of speaking here for one of the most important reasons, you receive the forgiveness of sins. God can forgive your sin in a moment, but he changes your heart. He changes your life. That's a different matter. One day, one decision at a time, right? The whole Christian life is playing catch up. That's what this was about. Right when Ben just got baptized. Ben got baptized as the others did because he already is a Christian and this is the first day of the rest of his life saying, now that I am a Christian, now that forgiveness has been taken care of by the finished work of Jesus, now I want to begin the work of seeing the inside, the God's power and in, in grace and truth change me from the inside out. That's a whole other matter. God can forgive your sin in a moment. To change your heart and your life is a whole other matter. So what I want to talk about in the few minutes that I have this morning is, I would say, the most important you know, um, habit about developing this all-important habit of spending time with God. Not only spending time in the Bible, okay, reading it, but responding to what you read um, in prayer that can change your life. So that's what I want to talk about. We're going to do it from the 19th Psalm. In the 19th Psalm is, you might say, written by David, we believe. It's, that's the, 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 uh, what the Bible says. It's written by David. And really, it's a praise, in praise of the Word of God. 
It's a, it's, a, it's a psalm written by David in praise of the word of God. But as we read it, you'll see it's not just this beautiful, idyllic, you know, wonderful picture of what the Bible is, the word of God, but gritty, in, in a gritty way what that word can do in our lives. Okay, so Psalm 19, because it's a, it's a full chapter and because of our subject matter, please stand to your feet, would you, as I read the 19th Psalm, follow along as I read. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and they are altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of the great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in thy sight, your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. You may be seated. This this very famous psalm Begins with a lofty praise about creation. He's using creation as a way to talk about the word of God, right? The creative power in the physical creation. The creative power in the special revelation of God's word, okay? So he starts with this lofty, you know, praise of creation. But he ends, in the last few verses, with a very gritty prayer for help, okay? Which is where I want to focus on in the few minutes that we have. Begins with lofty praise, ends with a gritty prayer. If all we had was the first six verses, if that was the, the only thing we had in the psalm, it would be beautiful. It would be wonderful. It's, it's saying some powerful things. There's some irony and some paradox. You know, a, a voice that, uh, there's no speech, no words, but yet their voice is heard. He's saying something about revelation. If all we had was the first six verses, you might say, it's beautiful, Rob, but I don't th- I'm not sure I get the point. But when you add all of the verses together, The point is quite clear in the 19th Psalm, and it's this. God is speaking. Are you listening? That's what he's asking. If you read this whole psalm in its entirety, you get down to where he ends it. You know, Lord, help me. I hear what you're saying. You're putting your finger in places in my life that I haven't been able to do, been willing to do. I didn't even see some of these things, these hidden faults, these errors that I didn't know about. Help me to not run my life off the edge, that I might have sins that will be willful, that will ruin my life. It's a gritty prayer, okay? God is speaking, but are we listening? Even the creation account, he's he's using it as an imagery, right? To get our attention, you might say, as 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 a metaphor, right? He's saying a couple important things, 
And we'll do very quick this first point on, on, on you know, uh, the, the, the first opening verses. What is he saying? What's the point of this creative imagery going back to creation? Point one, nowhere, there's nowhere you can go that God cannot find you or get at you. That's what he's trying to say, right? Verse two, day after day, they pour, pour, uh, excuse me, verse six, it, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. He's using the sun as the ultimate, you might say the epitome of God's creation. God created it all. But you might say at the heart of creation, just the natural phenomenon, the sun, you might say is the most important, one of the most powerful agents in God's creation. Without it, there would be no life, no human life, no grass, no nothing. So he's using this as a warm-up. And he's saying, listen, the sun, right? The sun, the word of God. God is there's nowhere you can go where God cannot find you and get you. And the second thing is about this creation metaphor. He has not left us in the dark as to who he is and what he wants for our lives. God's revelation is not only pervasive, right? Nothing can hide from it, the warmth of the sun. But it's also continuous. This is his point. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Their voice goes into all the earth, their words to the end of the world, right? It's pervasive. It's ongoing. The Apostle Paul will say something similar, Romans chapter 1, famous passage. The invisible things, I'm sure he's thinking of Psalm 19, Romans 1.20. The invisible things of him, speaking of God, the invisible things of him, the things you don't understand, the things you don't know, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made so that men and women are without excuse. Okay? It's all pervasive. Day after day it pours forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. There is nowhere you can go to the ends of the earth where his voice is not heard. The question is, are you, am I listening? Okay? That's what this is passage asks, right? But verse 7, he changes from the, you know, the natural phenomenon, this metaphor about creation, to, of course, the Word of God. We call that special revelation, the Bible itself, right? The Bible itself. But in a sense, let me say this about the Bible, the words of God in the Bible. In a sense, they are him, Hold on before you send me an email, okay? They are him in this sense. They possess, if you believe what the Bible says about itself, the authority and the power of God, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't have breakfast with Jesus. I don't go on a fishing trip with Jesus. I mean the literal physical Jesus. But I can, okay? But here's the question, are you listening? You and I, probably most everyone in this room, or 90% of us, you carry the entire revelation of God on your hip pocket. But by, that, by itself, that statement doesn't do anything for you. You have to engage it. Are you listening? Am I listening? Are you engaging it? Or are you spending your time, the minutes you have left in this day or this life, doing other things? Jesus, quick story sharing with you for this point, Bible story. Luke chapter 16. 
Jesus teaching his disciples, which is what I'm trying to do today by extension, trying to tell them what's important. And he says, there was a certain man. So we don't know if Luke, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, is a parable or not. Not sure that it matters. doesn't say that. But Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. He said, there was a certain rich man. And this guy lived sumptuously. This is a close paraphrase. He had a great life. He had everything you wanted. And he lived a sumptuous life to eat and drink and enjoy his great property. This man, at the end of his property, at the gate, all the way down the end of his driveway, there was a poor beggar. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus was poor. He was sick. And this guy, didn't. he just, he just wanted the crumbs that fell from the master's table. And then he had this little line, even the dogs came and licked the sores, right? So he's trying to create this great contrast between this man of great wealth and this man who lives on the bottom of society, right, in physical pain. It says, one day, the angels come and he dies and they carry off Lazarus to Abraham's bosom, which is a a Jewish way of saying heaven, okay? Abraham being the great father of the Old Testament in a manner of speaking, to Abraham's bosom. Then the rich man dies and he goes to hell, okay? Now this is just a setup for the story. Now comes the story. He says, the, the guy who's in hell, the rich man, he looks up, we don't know what all this means, but we'll get to it in a second, and he sees Abraham somehow and Lazarus together. You know, they're not in this place of torment. And he screams, he says, hey, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus. Would you please just do me one favor? He knows he's there because he chose to be there in a manner of speaking. That's the point Jesus is making. But he's saying, listen, I'm not looking for a pass out. Can you please just send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and come and touch my tongue? That's all I'm asking for. And Abraham says, I'd love to do that, but I can't. You did your thing in life. It's, it's yielded this result. This guy did his thing in life. It's yielded his result. I can't. This is beyond my pay grade. I can't help you. And then he says, okay, I respect that. But could you do me another favor? I have five brothers. And these five brothers, they live in Galilee too, just like me. And they, don't, they're not, they didn't take the God, word of God as seriously like I didn't. And I'm begging you, I'm begging you for them. Would you send Lazarus back to tell them about this horrible place they'd get right with God? And he says, listen, here's the point, Jesus is saying. This is what Abraham says. They have Moses and the prophets which is their way of saying the Bible because there was no New Testament then. They have the Bible. Let, tell them they, that's, they have what they need. And he says, oh, Father Abraham, but if someone came back from the dead, they'd believe that. You know? He said, listen, if, they're, if they will not believe Moses and the prophet, they will not be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. The point of that story we, we, we're always, sometimes we're always looking for the wrong thing. We get in our own way. It's not about the spatial relationship between heaven and hell. Are there, is there flames in hell? We, there's all these questions we ask. That's not the point of the story. Go somewhere else for, the point, for those answers. All Jesus is trying to say in the simple story is, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you might die tomorrow, Peter, James, Paul, Mary, Magdalene. You, you may live 20, 30, 40 years, but let me tell you something. Are you engaged in the word of God? You have Moses and the prophets. What are you doing with them? Right? God is speaking. The question is, are you listening? Point number two. The word of God holds creative power to change your life. Now, just because I say it doesn't mean it's true. You have to believe it. But the word of God has, holds a creative power to change your life. Now, listen very carefully. I don't have a lot of time. 
the middle section of this beautiful piece of scripture, there are a series of adjectives and verbs, and they're trying to communicate to us, just like poetry would. There's some, you know, if I want to say, you know, uh, uh, someone is so beautiful, I'm going to give you more than one adjective, right? Or, 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 or even if it's I'm talking about a, a natural scene or the, the ocean in California, whatever it is, I mean, there's a lot of things. I'm going to give you more than one adjective. Well, David's doing the same thing. He's not going to exhaust you, but he says, listen, I want to give you as many of these adjectives to talk about what it is, and let me just mention three of them to describe the characteristics of the Word of God. And I'm saying them. Why am I saying them? Not so you can hear them a second time, so you can think about whether or not this is true for you. Okay, so slow down. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord, the the, the words of God are trustworthy. The scriptures, the gospels, the Bible is precious. Now, what do those words mean? Just listen very carefully. When it says the law of the Lord is perfect, it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's morally pure, I believe it is, but the, the point isn't it's so perfect, don't let it, don't put the TV on it. I mean, it's not the point. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it mean? This? It means it's complete. That's what perfect means. In other words, it's complete. Yes, there are great books to read, and I like to read them. There's wonderful art in the last 2,000 years of human history, but in most cases, those are commentary. It's complete. If you want to know who you are, why you were made, and what you were made for, and the power to do that, in a sense, you don't have to go any further than this book. That's what it's saying. But do you believe it? The, law, the, law, the, 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 the words of God are trustworthy. What does that mean, they're trustworthy? It means they're 100% reliable, right? You say, is there anything else that's 100%? Well, a mother's love, I'm just trying to think. A father's love is not 100% reliable. Even if you had a great mother and a great father, they're imperfect. They're, they're certainly not omniscient. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone's a liar, even your mother and your father, as great as they are. And they, if you're a child, and I'm talking about your mother or father, they're probably going to die, not always, but before you do. No one is reliable fully. It's trustworthy. It means it's 100% reliable. Not because you have it in your pocket or you put it under your pillow. You have to engage it, but it's 100% reliable. Last, it's precious. And the only thing he could think of, you know, he's writing 3,000 years ago, it's more precious than gold, right? Sweeter than the honeycomb. You can fill in the blank. What does it mean? It means in terms of what it can do for your life, the words of God, in terms of what it can do for your life, there's nothing that you have that is more valuable. Listen to what he says. I'm just going to give you three of the things that it can do in our lives. It's the law of the Lord is perfect it revives and refreshes the soul. Oh my goodness. I need that every single day. I need, I, need, I need to have somebody come into me and say, let me tell you who you really are, not who you think you are. Let me correct your thinking to tell you who you are, how I made you, and let me also tell you that I love you. Okay? That's the refreshing of the soul. I don't get that from my spouse, my cousin, my kid, the television, my favorite book. All those, those things are wonderful, but they're not going to give me what only God can give me. He refreshes my soul. Listen, he makes wise the simple. And by that, the simple doesn't mean 
you know, someone who's mentally challenged. That's what he's trying to say. The simple is people who need wisdom to live, right? He, you want wisdom in your life? There's nothing more important than wisdom, right? The mistakes that you make, the money that you blow, it's all done because you don't have wisdom. He makes wise the simple. Now this one. He gives, the word of God brings joy to the heart. It's a whole other sermon, but I, I'm not so sure that everything that we go after in life, and many, we, we miss many of these things, our greatest energies, our greatest work, our greatest um, you know, time is spent just trying to find joy. It comes from the word of God, okay? It comes from the word of God. Do you have it? Do I have it? Here's the thing about belief, though. Do you believe it? It changes your life, my point, to the degree that you believe it. But you're not going to believe it just because I tell it to you. Right? Oh, oh! If, if pastoring would be a snap if that were true. Parenting would be a snap if that were true. You're not going to believe it just because I tell it to you. The word of God does a powerful change in your life, but here's the point. First, it needs to get into your bones. Okay? It needs to get into your bones. Is it getting into your bones? Then you'll believe it. How many of you remember the game Operation? Right? I mean, it's amazing. I didn't know until I looked into it that it actually still is in, in, in business. You know, you can still get one. The game is the simplest most simple concept. I, I owe, owe that I wish I would have invented it because it's still in, it's still in print. They're still selling it. Oh, my God. That was like 50, 60 years ago, whatever it was. The simplest game possible. It's a flat board. It's just a character, a caricature, you know, a, a drawing, a cartoon of a, of a person. I think it was a guy. I don't know. Maybe they have two kinds now. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Mine was a guy. And it was very simple drawing. But there was a bunch of cutouts and depressions, you know, over the heart, over the kneecap, over the elbow, over the... And, and all the game was was these cutouts were, and they were depressions, and inside these depressions were these small little hard plastic things that were the ailments, right? The bad heart, the bad knee, right? And the whole point of the game was there was a tether with a little, little tweezers or a scalpel, and you're supposed to very carefully get in there and take the ailment out without hitting the sides when it would buzz, okay? It's the whole point of that simple game. It's what God is trying to do with you. Okay? You see, what does David say at the end of this thing? He doesn't say, oh God, uh, thanks for all your, uh, thanks for everything. Uh, I can't wait to see you. He says, no, there's, I got work to do. Who can discern their errors? Help me with my hidden faults and the willful sins that are trying to tear me down. They're trying to destroy my my life, my calling, my marriage, everything. I need help. I need surgery. Right? Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. I'm sure the writer of Hebrews was thinking of the 19th Psalm, I would imagine. For the word of God, listen carefully, is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Now, it is a metaphor, but it's making a point, just like Psalm 19. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, whatever that means. In other words, it's going to get into your emotions. It's going to go beyond this, the, 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 the easy answers we do and our easy judgments and our easy criticisms about what God can or cannot do. Our, our excuses, it's going to divide the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It's just another way of saying it's going to get down to your bones. 
Okay? It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. You see, your friends, your group, your, your brothers, your, your kids, they might only see a certain amount of you, right? You can do a good job, I can do a good But the word of God's going to cut through the layers to the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. May the words of my heart, or excuse me, may the, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That means God's already there in your life. Nothing is hidden. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom you must give account. A day of reckoning is coming. What this passage is saying, both of them are saying, listen, don't waste it. But are you willing every day, in a manner of speaking, this is what the habit spend time with God is, to get on the operating time, to find some quiet time with God, some vulnerable time with God, some stillness with God, so he can do what no one else can do and reach into the deepest part of who you are, not to hurt you, not to shame you, not to judge you, but to heal you. That's what David's talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Let me say this as your, your pastor and friend. Reading the word of God every day, engaging it, praying it, is the most important part of my life. I would say to you, it's the richest part of my day, of an, a given day, 16-hour day or whatever, waking day. And it's the last thing I would give up. Now, I don't live in a situation where people are, you know, put me, you know, taking my food. But if I had to, it would be the last thing I would give up. But let me say very quickly, I'm not saying that to impress you. I've been in this game for a long time, this, this walk with Jesus. I'm saying that to challenge you and to inspire you, right? Because the word of God is precious, more precious than gold, than fine gold. It's sweeter than the honeycomb, right? If you really understand it. There's nothing like it. Not just because God says it, because of what it can do for your life, right? Do I need wisdom? Oh my goodness, do I need wisdom. The list is too long. Do I need to have my soul refreshed? Do I need someone to look me in the face? You know, Augustine, the great church father, one of them, said, he said many things that are memorable, but one was this. God loves each of us. Listen very carefully. He's, he's doing theology in a sentence, right? God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. Now, there's a, there's, a, there's a ton of theology in there, but he's trying to say something that is profound, that's beyond our imagination and understanding. Even when I pray, I've been a Christian for all these years, I still think, well, why has God got time to listen to me? Oh my gosh, there's so many people in the world. There's so many problems. You know, I'm, I'm so far down the list. Say? That's because we don't understand God. We don't know. We haven't, we haven't painted a picture. We're painting a picture the world gives us, our experience gives us, our parents gives us, the bad religion that we grew up with gives us, not the picture that's painted in the word of God. It's not in your bones. So you're worshiping a God that's something less than who he is. But the more I get to know who he is, Augustine's saying, listen, God, in your practical experience, he loves each of us, he loves Courtney as if, as if she was the only person on the planet. Once that truth 
If you could truly internalize that truth, if you could live with that truth, it would change your life in a dramatic way. The law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. Okay? I want that. I need that every single day. Now, quickly, we're going to hand out journals. It's just a tool. Not today. They look better than this one. Next week and the next three weeks, it's just a way in which you can experience not just this habit, spending time with God, but the four habits we're going to talk about. They're all just means to an end, which is to get closer to God and become more like Jesus. You have to work at it. Don't raise your hand. How many of you are married and would say marriage is a breeze? If marriage isn't a breeze, Jeff Miller's laughing a little too much over there. If marriage isn't a breeze, which I don't think it was meant to be, nor it is it, do you think walking with God's a breeze? When God wants to do far more in your life with him in covenant than even marriage is meant to do in your life, which marriage has a purpose too. Think about that. It's not meant to be a breeze. You have to work at it. And the most important resource you have is the word of God. So let me just tell you what I have done. And when I looked at this little you know, journal, you've seen these before, I'm not telling you something I've been doing forever and a day as far as writing goes. I've been, tr- I've been engaging the scripture, I'd like to say, for most of my adult life as a Christian. But I'm getting better and better and better. But just, it says 1-3-21. So this little exercise I'm telling you, I've only done in this way for the, for the last nine months. But all it is is this. When I read the Bible, I might read four chapters. Two, you know, but I may comment on one chapter. I may comment on one verse. You know what really impressed me? The 11th verse of Psalm 19. I'm just making this up. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Somehow that, that one verse might be the thing that really impresses me. So here's what I do in my little journal. Very, one page, and these are very small. One paragraph that says, what does it say? You know, what, what does it say? What, what's, what's, what's Psalm 19 verse 11 saying? Best I know. How? Doesn't have to be sophisticated. Very small. Then what is it saying to me? But see, here's where we get lost. Because you, if you don't believe these fundamental things I'm saying, it's trustworthy, right? It's, it's, it's reliable. It's, it's perfect. It's precious. If you don't believe those things, then you, you won't believe the second question, which is, what is it saying to you? I don't mean just saying to you like you're reading you know, a novel or, you're, or you're, you're reading a love letter. What's it saying? What is God saying to you through this passage? God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. He tells you about that love through the word of God. And then the last thing I do, then I'll say a sentence or two. Then all I simply do is write a prayer, which is how we're going to end this sermon. This is what David does. Now I've got to say, see, some, we, see, this is where I think a lot of us miss and, 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 and we underwhelm, we're, we're having an underwhelming experience because we read the word of God, but we don't apply it to our lives. Then I got a prayer. Here's just a prayer I wrote uh, a week or two ago. Just as an example, I won't even get into the passage. God, help me, help us to let go of every right and the need to be right in my pursuit of helping others find you. Teach us to love the spiritually lost more like you do. That was my application, okay? Last point, okay? God is speaking. Are you listening? The word of God is the power to change your life. You need to ask God to help you for what you need. That's what David ends. This is a whole sermon in itself, but if you look at these last few verses, it gets very personal. There are one, two, three, there are seven personal pronouns. 
right, in the last part of this passage. By them is your servant warned, that's me, who can discern their errors. Forgive Cheryl's hidden faults. No, that's not how it works, right? Forgive my hidden faults, David says. May they not rule over me. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, what's the answer to verse 12? It's a rhetorical question. Who can discern their own errors? The answer is perfectly nobody can. I could tell you if, you were, if, you, if we had some coffee and say, you said, Rob, tell me some things where you're struggling. If, if we had an honest relationship, I could write them down. It wouldn't take me long. But I, the list would not be complete, right? What are my hidden faults? Very likely, for you or for me, there is fear, there is envy, there is judgment, there is lust, fill in the blank, that you don't even know you have. I'm not so sure that what's ruining a lot of our lives, keeping us back, ruining our relationships, aren't the things we know about that we're working on. Right? It's the things we don't even know that are going on. And that's why it's so mind-numbing, and that's why we just punt on this commitment or this investment or even this relationship. We go, I don't see it. Must be your fault. Right? Because who can discern their errors? The answer is perfectly nobody can. you got to get on the operating table. you got to be still before God. Still. And you need to be vulnerable, and you need to trust him that he is trustworthy, he knows what he's doing, okay? This is the only way your life will ever change. It's the only way my life will ever change, and it's an ongoing work. The practical purpose of spending time with God in the word of God and responding, Psalm 19 is just a perfect example, not the only one, is this, this is it. To bring God's will to bear on your life, right? It's not a Christianity is not a cookie cutter, right? A lot of people who've given up on the church, I think, in, in, in our day, in our lives, not because the church is full of it, not because the church is all superficial, not because the church is, is just a social club, because the work of being a Christian, they found it too hard. That's the real reason. G.K. Chesterton. Christianity has not so much been, um, you know, uh, found, uh, uh, oh, I'm going to miss the quote. Christianity has not so much been found, um, um, but it's found difficult and left untried. That's the end of the quote, right? It's found difficult. It's not so much been found wanting, there's something lacking. Christianity has not so much been found wanting, he says, but it's, so I got rid of it. It's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't really have anything. It's, it's, it's superficial, it's been found difficult and left untried. Okay? What I'm encouraging you to do is to try it. What I'm encouraging me to do is to try it. Spending time with God, responsive prayer, brings God's will to bear on your personal life. It provokes an intelligent response. If you're, that's what Psalm 19, verses 11 through 14, it's an intelligent response. It deepens trust in the only person that can help you, and it leads ultimately to detailed obedience. See, my obedience is different than yours because my problems are different than yours, okay? God is speaking 
The word has gone out from, from, one, you know, from, from one end of the sky to the other, day after day, right? night after night. It's coming at you and me. There's no one that can be hidden from his warmth. So, so your excuses are a waste of your breath. The Bible has the creative power to change your life. But you got to get on the operating table and get real and start personalizing the word of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for my uh, brothers and sisters in this room. We love you. We need you. And Lord, I just pray for all of us. My heart is, Lord, that we would, you would use us, Browncroft Community Church, to reach, <laughs> this is the whole point of the church, more people with the gospel in this community, in this world. But Lord, the, the, the sobering truth is we have to reach ourselves first. Right? We have to believe that the word of God is perfect, complete, that it has everything I need, that it's trustworthy, and that it is the most precious thing I have. Help us in Jesus' name I pray, amen.